welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinson, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How's it going, buddy? Going well, man. It's going well. I'm feeling it today. Feeling it. That's good. Yeah. What are you feeling? Oh, we'll figure it out as we go. Okay. All right. This is part two of the Essential Doctrine Jesus stuff that we talked about last week, and we will be getting started with that right now. Why Why did he have to come, like, why at that moment in time on the big timeline of everything that God's got somewhere, why at that point instead of yesterday? <laughs> right. So the time period in which he came was actually set up perfect for his coming. The Jews always expected the Messiah to come and deliver them, okay? Mm-hmm. From oppression. Okay. All right. And so what was happening in this time period is that the Roman Empire had become such an oppressive rule that the Jewish people were actually, you know, calling out, crying out for a Messiah to deliver them. Roman Empire, you know, has become oppressive and, they're, and so the Jewish people are, are calling out for a Messiah. So they're they're wanting a Messiah. They're awaiting for a Messiah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one. There's an expectation that a Messiah will come and deliver them. Because of because of prophecies from before. Yes. Okay. Yes. And this is yeah, so exactly. Like when you look back, when they you know they look back at the Old Testament scripture, there's a sense that the, there's a Messiah who is coming to deliver them. Okay. Yeah. And who will be like a reigning king on earth. And so in that sense, there was an expectation for a Messiah. Due to the Roman Empire, though, there was a few practical things that were actually in place that had not been before. So number one... The Roman Empire. Okay. Yeah. Because they were super cool. I'm not saying they were super cool, but they were super large. Okay. All right. And one thing they did was they had a common language. Okay. So everyone within the Roman Empire spoke Greek. Like they didn't speak Roman. They spoke Greek. Okay. Do a history lesson with you. All right. <laughs> they spoke Greek. And so one podcast is enough. Okay. <laughs> and so so all so all around the Mediterranean world, which is where the Roman Empire was located, they were speaking Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's one language which allows everyone to communicate mm-hmm. okay, together. There was, and I'm not saying that local groups didn't have their own dialect as well, right? But Greek was the worldwide, at that point, the known world language, okay? okay? Also in the Roman Empire, roadways and even sea passage had gotten to such a point to where it was deemed as safe, Okay, so there had been like an infrastructure built, basically, of roads, okay. roadways, and and even like the shipping industry had formed in such a way where you could travel by boat okay. um, a, around, you know, the Mediterranean, for example, okay. um, and reach different places that could not have been reached. I mean, it could have been reached before. But it would have taken a long time but of not safely and yeah and, okay. and right it taken a long foot travel around right mm-hmm. this so so these things had been set up and yeah and again it was and it was fairly safe but these roadways these the shipping lanes everything else 
also established the fact that letters could be freely delivered. Okay. And that became huge for the early church. So the letters of Paul and Peter and James and John and Jude are being distributed all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. The Gospels are being written and distributed. Now the letters can get to different places, okay, okay? more easily than they could have, could have before. And then finally, as a Roman citizen, you are actually allowed to travel freely among the whole empire. Okay. So, you know, like you've got your Roman citizenship card, and that card allows you to travel throughout the Roman world. And so now it's not restricted, you know, it's not so restricted. And so all of these elements set itself up for when Jesus came, he himself could move about from Galilee and then around Samaria and into into Judea. And so it set up his own ability to move about on these roadways and even using boats and those kind of things. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. as much on the Mediterranean as he was like on the Sea of Jordan or, you know, or excuse me, Sea of Galilee. Jesus has allowed this movement, and because he's a Roman citizen, there's also a there is a protection point there, okay. right? So the Jews can't just go kill you if they don't like you. Okay, because like, they'll kill them. Because like the yeah, because then they will be in, they'll get in trouble. Yeah. Okay. It's it actually saved, set up somewhat of a safeguard for Jesus mm-hmm. in a weird kind of way, right? Because ultimately, it was the Romans who crucified him at the behest of the Jews. Right. Um, but the Jews knew they couldn't do it themselves. Okay. One, because they get in trouble. But then secondly, because they didn't want it to fall back on them. Mm. You know, now eventually they had to. Because the Jews were still supposed to be God's people back, back then. Correct. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were God's people. Back so then. The, this prophecy being fulfilled, the Jewish one, was that... Did that end when Jesus was born or when he died or when he was resurrected or when he left? Yeah, one of the cool things is that there's all of these prophecies throughout the Old Testament scripture Mm. about where Jesus would be born, about where he would live, about what he would do, how he would die. And then there's these prophecies in the Old Testament about a reigning Messiah. So I say Jesus, let me say Messiah. Mm-hmm. This is what it will look like when the Messiah is here, begins to rule and reign mm-hmm. as the king, as a ruling Messiah who's a king over all of the earth. And for the Jews, that was to be understood. For example, when you look at like Joel 2, that would have been understood to be connected with the age of the Spirit. Okay. So the age of the Spirit was to come. It was to come and pour down on all of God's people. So all of God's people would have the Spirit, and this age of the Spirit would be a place where there's no more sin and no more sickness and no more curse and no more shame and no more death. All of that would end in this age of the Spirit, which is what they really believed would happen when the Messiah initially came. Okay. And so and I can understand from a perspective of, a, of being Jewish and looking through your Old Testament scriptures, because... There is this element of this reigning, ruling Messiah. There's also these other elements of the Messiah who's coming, and he's not a reigning, ruling Messiah in the form of a king over all the earth. He's more like a suffering servant, which is okay. what we see in Isaiah. It's more of a suffering servant. But um, he, but he, 
he is reigning because he's God. Sure. Both things are, all the prophecies, both, all of it is true of Jesus. It's true of Jesus, but there's a, what we're talking about, yes, he's ruling because he's God, but what I mean is like full kingdom of God on earth. Mm -hmm. Like full, and when I say kingdom, like full domain. Okay. So every element of the earth is the domain of God, where he's ruling and reigning and the will of God is occurring. Okay. Yeah. There's all these Old Testament prophecies that speak of this. And so, like, for example, when you go through the book of Matthew, Matthew continues to refer to all of these Old Testament prophecies, whether he's speaking about Jesus being you know, born in Bethlehem, or Jesus being from Nazareth, or Jesus having to, you know, travel to Egypt. Matthew is tying in all these Old Testament prophecies about the life of Jesus. Okay. Um, even Jesus' death, Matthew ties that into it. When Jesus is healing people, Matthew ties Old Testament prophecies into that as well. Okay. And so all of the life of Jesus is being connected with all of these Old Testament prophecies. And then there's, again, there's these prophecies of this new creation, which is to come. Mm-hmm. So if I'm reading the end of Isaiah, for example, I'm getting this picture of this new creation that's coming, mm-hmm. this new heaven, this new earth that we obviously don't have yet mm-hmm. and now. Like when I read Joel chapter 2, like about the Spirit coming down, but all people, like we know that's not quite the reality yet. Spirit is being poured out upon followers of Jesus, you know, sure, but it's not like the full spirit age where there's no sin, no sickness, no death, no curse, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this kind of is the prophecies that are waiting to be fulfilled. What did or do the Jews think that he's supposed to be? The Messiah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they really think the Messiah is coming again, like, or not coming again, they think the Messiah is coming to rule and to reign as a king and introduce the reign of the Messiah with the spirit age. So Trump. Definitely not Trump. <laughs> I had to. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, for real though. <laughs> for real, not Trump. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what the, so that's what the Jews ex, that's what the Jews expect of the Messiah, is and, the, and they still expect that. Correct. Why do they think that Jesus didn't fulfill that? Yeah, because he well, for one thing, because he died. Okay. There was no for many Jews. There was no there was no paradigm at all for Jesus or for their Messiah. Excuse me, for their Messiah to come and die. But but that's prophesied in in the half of the Bible that they think is true, though. Yeah, it is prophesied in portions of Old Testament scripture. Sure. Okay. So then, what's the problem? Yeah, I, it's it's. I think that it's hard for them to see. For example, when you're reading through Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. and it's talking about the one who's who who is who is suffering and dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you read it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. Like, it's pretty clear this is Jesus. But I think that, you know, they would, I think they would understand that to be speaking of just another figure, not necessarily a Messiah. Okay. But I think 
when you see what happens with Jesus, you start tracing all of the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. It's really difficult not to go, he had to be the Messiah. He had to be. Even on a statistical level, he had to be the Messiah. What do you mean statistical? Because of how many things that were prophesied that were right about him? Correct. Okay. And like, and just the improbability that one man would actually be able to fulfill all of those things. Okay. You know, like they, that Jesus actually was able to fulfill all of these prophecies. They read the book and the movie didn't look like Like the book. Yeah. I think that's some of it. Okay. For sure. They read and it didn't play out the way they thought it was going to play out. Okay. But remember, all of the initial followers of Jesus were Jews. Right. So I want to make sure we're clear that it wasn't like all of the Jews denounced Jesus, right? All of the followers initially of Jesus were Jews. Even the even the initial followers in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when you know thousands came to believe at one time, they were all Jews as well. Okay. I don't want it to come across as if all of the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, because that wasn't the case. And so even though I know it had to be hard for so many of them to connect Jesus to being a Messiah because of what they had expected from a Messiah. Right. And there are so many Jews that had their hopes up that Jesus would be the Messiah, and then he died. Like, when you read about Palm Sunday, for example, or it, like if you read your, your Bibles, it won't be labeled as Palm Sunday. It'll be labeled as like the triumphal entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they're all just celebrating because they think Jesus coming into Jerusalem to take his place on the throne. Oh, okay. And they're, they're like, they're pumped. And they're like, he, this thing's about to happen. Like he's about to overthrow the Roman government right here. Okay. And then not only does he not overthrow the Roman government, he dies. So he, he just he strolls in there and then and then starts getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a matter of one week. Okay. It goes from this is the Messiah. He's about to he's about to overthrow the Roman government. He's about to change everything to wait, what? He just died? I mean, you understand how com- confused so many were. But then in his resurrection so many more of them came back to trusting, following Jesus. Okay. And then, again, what you see is after Pentecost, so many more do so. So, I mean, the the very beginning, the very early stages of the church was Jews. Okay. Before it ever spread to Gentiles. Because the Gentiles still didn't think they were worthy yet. The Jews weren't sure they were worthy yet. Okay. That had to be made clear to Peter. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter is at Cornelius' house, who's a God-fearer, so he's a, he's a Gentile. Mm-hmm. He does believe in the Jewish God. It says he's devout, and he's a God-fearer, but, and, and, he's a, and he's a generous giver. But Peter's not even sure that he can be just completely seen as a follower of Jesus. And in the sense of not having to go through the Jewish rites and customs of circumcision and everything else and keeping all the traditions of the Jews. Were all the disciples Jews? Yes, all the disciples were Jews. And so now being a God-fearer, he may very well have already, you know, gone through circumcision. He might have been trying to keep some of the 
traditions mm-hmm. of BNG, right? But what happens that kind of blows the doors off everything is that the Holy Spirit, as Peter is speaking to them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Okay. And they all begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. And Peter reports back to the other leaders. He says, listen, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them as well. And that's what changed everything. Okay. And from that point, they knew that the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit were not just for the Jews, but they were for the Gentiles as well. Was and Jesus circumcised? Yes. Okay. Sure was. How do we know that? It says it. Really? Yep. Oh. So was Jesus really perfect? Like, how do you manage to do that from being a child all the way to a teenager to 33 years old? He he never saw a woman and was like, yeah, that's what's up. He like not once, like never thought about doing that or never never did anything. Like, how do you not? How do you how? We said before he was tempted, right? Yeah. So he was tempted. Okay, but no, he actually never did sin. So where does where does being tempted and like where's the where's tempted in sin? Where's the where's the line? So like if Satan brought him into the wilderness that time mm-hmm. and showed him porn <laughs> or, okay. or something, is that sin or is that being tempted to like look at it yourself? That would have been tempted to continue to look at it. Okay. If all of a sudden, using your example there. Because that's kind of what happened to David, right? Oh, with Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah, he sees Bathsheba. So he could have seen her. and Yeah, absolutely. And then just turned around and been like, nope. Okay. Yeah. It's like not, it's not seeing the naked or the attractive woman. That's not the issue. Okay. Right? Like, I should be able to look at a woman and think, okay, she's beautiful. Okay. But that doesn't mean I have to lust after her. I don't see the difference. I think it's a huge difference. Okay. Right? So I can objectively say that's an attractive person. Okay. Right? Unlike Jesus, who was definitely not attractive at all. (laughs) I feel like I need to redo that whole part. (laughs) So I can look at someone and say they're attractive. I find them attractive. It doesn't mean I have to go to the next step of I sure would like to see them naked or I sure would like to have sex with them or right. Okay. I can see someone beautiful and say they're beautiful. So they're attractive. Like that doesn't that can be objective. So his disciples could have gone up to him like, dang, and pointed at somebody and he'd have been like, Yep. And then that was it. That was cool for him to do. <laughs> I think he would have said now this is interesting with Jesus, right? Okay. Because he would have said I was, I, was, I was using your scenario, the disciples coming <laughs> up to Jesus. Um, one, I don't think they would have. They probably would have talked amongst themselves. <laughs> not going to bring Jesus into that conversation. But I do think that what Jesus would have done, because I think this is what he did with every single individual he encountered, was he was able to see them through the eyes of a creator. He created them. So he was. And, he'd have been like, "Yeah, I made that." But, with, but, with, but the way you say that is like implying something else. And so, no, he's yes, he'd have said, 
That is my creation. Okay. They bear the image of God. Okay, so if we move off the kind of the sexual <laughs> sexuality part of it, right? Going back to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Okay. Jesus was hungry, right? Really hungry. Right. Because he'd been fasting for 40 days. So he was really hungry and probably really tired. Jesus being hungry wasn't a sin. Jesus wanting bread wasn't a sin. So, But when the enemy tempts them with, hey, turn these rocks, these stones into bread so you can eat, okay? That was the temptation. But the act of the sin would have been like, yep, that's a good idea. Turn them into bread. Okay. Because now he's disobeying God. So if he was sitting there fantasizing about turning the stones into bread, that would have been just as bad as actually doing it? If he's sitting there with if he's sitting there with a hunger going, wish I could eat, no, that's not sin. Okay. And if you're trying to make some connection of <laughs> Jesus fantasizing about turning stones <laughs> into bread and then just, well, he could just, why couldn't he just fantasize about some woman? Is that what you're trying to get to here? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Those are two completely different things, one. Because eating is not a sin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is him not eating and hurting his body temple a sin? No, not in this case, because he was led, it says, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast for these 40 days. Okay. So he was doing what the Holy Spirit had led him to do. Okay. But it's a good point. I think... Choosing to not eat for the wrong reasons can be a sin because you are damaging the temple of the the body that God's giving you, put it that way, the body God has given you. Okay. So if you're trying to, you know, basically either starve yourself or you're having, you have an eating disorder. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a different, that's a different, that's different. That's something very different. That's at play there. And we don't want to do anything that would intentionally damage our own bodies. So I do want to be clear on that. The entire time he was alive, he ma- managed to do completely no sinning. No sin at all. Everything he did was in step with what the Father was telling him to do. Jesus is born of virgin birth, mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. for sins. Mm-hmm. And then is buried. Yep. So why do I need to believe that he was buried? Like, who cares? Well, okay. So he was buried. Right. Okay. And so I think it's I think it's significant in a couple of different ways. One is that in his burial, his being buried, there's an assurance that he has died. Okay. Right. I mean, if you're buried, you're dead. Okay, so there's an assurance that he did actually die on the cross. It wasn't like a princess bride moment of where he's just mostly dead. You know, like, no, he's like all the way dead. So he was buried. And so I think that's the one part. It's just the significance that that in his burial, it's it's evident that he died. So he was that signified that he was confirmed dead, confirmed dead by authorities. Uh huh. Correct. Okay. And, you know, and then secondly, it actually, once again, fulfills Old Testament prophecy. 
That he was buried. That he was buried. It said that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Okay. And that's exactly what happened. Joseph of Arimathea requested for Jesus to be buried in his on his property. And so it was so it's was again another further thing of Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, which again is solidifying himself as the Messiah. Because he's again, once again, fulfilling all of these prophecies. But then I think the other part was just because you could ask, like, well, why didn't he just ascend? Or but there there needed to be a body, a bodily burial, because after he rose from the grave, he still needed to have that body to show individuals the actual holes in his hands and in his side. Oh, okay. So, like, wouldn't it have been more awe-inspiring for Jesus to be uh, cremated and, and, you know, have God put all the pieces back together and then you see him instead of just buried and then, hey, here he is now? (laughs) Okay, yeah, so, yeah, why wasn't he just burnt, right? Right, because wouldn't cremation have been more confirmation that he's actually dead? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure. So, for example, we see Jesus doing this with Thomas after his resurrection, where he's like, he's like, Thomas, come, put your hand in my side. Come touch these holes in my hands. And Do you think he put his finger through it and, like, wiggled it on the other side? Man, I have no idea. That would have been so weird. That's what I would have done. You definitely would have done that. I know. I, know. I, I don't know Thomas well enough to, okay. to give a good guess, but I'm thinking Thomas probably just fell down right there on the spot. It okay. was like, oh, my Lord. You know, as he says there, my Lord, my God. But I think that's that's another reason. Like, he needed to be able to show this part of himself to others. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But, but since we talked about him lasting however long without food or water, Mm-hmm. Did he go without water in the desert too for forty mm-hmm. days? He did. Is that that's not even possible for for regular non god humans? <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. You're pushing your you're pushing all of your limits, right? Right. By doing that, yeah. Okay, so after being able to do that for forty days, isn't three days sitting in a tomb with no food or water not as long? Were there people that were questioning whether he actually died or did they believe it okay i see what you're saying yeah yeah well they knew that he had been they knew that he had died because when the when the roman soldiers went to the crosses okay Mm -hmm. what they would have done was they would have broken the legs of the individuals that were still breathing okay because what that would have done was they because on the cross you're actually pushing and holding yourself up to keep yourself from suffocating. Okay. But if they break your legs, you can no longer do that. I mean, unless you got a wicked upper body. I don't even think a wicked upper body is going to help you with this. Okay. And so with Jesus, what they did was they put a uh, um, a spear through his side. The Romans did this. I mean, crucifying people was something the Romans did well. They knew he was dead. So the Roman authorities were certain he was dead. Those that were surrounding him, you know, watching it all, knew he was dead. And so I don't think there was much doubt of actually, was he dead or not? Okay. 
what the Romans were concerned about is if someone stole his body and pretended like there was a resurrection. Okay. Because it had been prophesied about if he was actually the Messiah. Well, the Romans wouldn't have connected those dots. Okay. But the Romans would have just been afraid that, listen, if someone steals his body and tries to say some things, we got to make sure this tomb is guarded. Oh, and okay. so, and then when the body was actually, when, when the grave was actually found to be empty, that was the rumor. Well, the body was stolen. There really wasn't a resurrection. The body was stolen. Okay. So that was the rumor that the Romans created. So his, his him being alive again in the same body was proof that his body wasn't stolen. Correct. So, the, okay. It was clear. In other words, it was clear he died. Right. And it was clear that this wasn't just somebody else. Okay. Saying, oh, I'm the Messiah. I'm the resurrected Jesus. So for three days, were there impersonators out there, like with wigs and fake mustaches and whatever? I have no idea. Pretending to be Jesus? Probably not, because they crucified the last Jesus, so I don't know if you would really want to sign up for that. Okay, I got you. Yeah. That's true. Okay, so why was he in the grave for three days? Also, 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 isn't Good Friday on a Friday... And Resurrection Sunday on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And isn't that two days? Okay. Going, well, in other words, if you're starting on Friday, going to Saturday. From to Friday Sunday. to Saturday to Sunday, right. that's two days. Okay. So, so how did that all happen? So how did we mess that up if that was our fault? And why three days to start with? In the Jewish calendar, the Jewish way they do days is from sundown to sundown. Okay. So they're not counting days the way we're counting days. Okay. So they're doing sundown to sundown. So he's dead on that Friday, right? Right. Before the sundown. Okay, on that Friday, he's dead. Okay. So he's in the grave that day. By Saturday night, or by Friday night, excuse me, at sundown, you've started the next day. Okay. So you've started Sabbath. By the end of, so that's day two, by the end of Sabbath at the sundown on Saturday, we started what we know as Sunday, day three. Okay, so why three days? To be honest with you, I'm not really sure why it had to be three days. Jesus himself prophesied three times. It's called the, the, the passion predictions or the passion prophecies of Jesus. Three times he prophesies that he will die and that on the third day he will rise from the grave. Okay. So other than the fact of it was fulfilling what Jesus said was going to happen. I mean, that's that's the best I got, to be honest with you, as, lo- as far as like, why three days? Okay. Um, and Is there, it three a significant number? It is. It's, okay. a, it's a hugely significant number in Scripture, right? Three is an important number. Seven's an important number. And so, yeah, three's an important number. You know, there may be more of a physiological reasoning for that that I'm not aware of. I don't know. Okay. You know, I, 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 the best I can say is Jesus prophesied it would happen in three days and then it happened in three days. Why did Jesus need to ascend when all of it was over? Like why, why ascension and wh- how did that, what did that even look like? Okay. Like, how does that work? In Acts chapter one, we actually have like a, a description of the ascension. Also, why couldn't he just get run over by a camel? What's up with you and camels? I don't know. (laughs) 
know. They so had camels. They had, they did have camels. They had lots of camels, I guess. So, but in Acts chapter one, it actually gives us a picture of the ascension, and so or, or a excuse me, a description of the ascension. Verse nine it says, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So that gives a a picture of what the ascension looked like. So he floated up. Yes. At what point in the floating up process Mm -hmm. did he stop being all man and re-become all God because he would have gotten cold or something up there? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, like, when the writers talk about up, there's a sense of heavens always up. Like, we think of heaven Mm -hmm. as up. But, of course, we don't really know where heaven is exactly located, right? Mm. Because it's a spiritual realm. And so obviously at some point, yes, he disappears into the clouds. And then there's this, you know, transformation that happens, right? Mm. Um, or it's referred to in scripture like this glorification of Jesus that happens. Um, Philippians 2 verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He needed to ascend to you stated it, and to reclaim, if you want to put it this way, his rightful place at the right hand of God being the one who is Lord of all. And so he's glorified in this sense, um, as it speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15. He has this glorified body, and in his body he will return. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so he's in this glorified body, in this place, he has bestowed the name of all names, all bow to him. In Revelation, you see these, what's called these throne room settings, where or throne room visions, where you see Jesus, and they refer to him as the lamb who was slain. And they continually cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain, mm-hmm. who was and who is and who is to come. Even in heaven now, he is still known as the Lamb who was slain. Like they still are singing that chorus okay. because of what he did. And so in his ascension is his glorification. Returning to glory. Correct. Okay, so the last part of of your the first the first essential doctrine part of this was that he's coming again. Mm-hmm. So how am I supposed to know that? Like other than Basically, other than the Bible telling me so, 
how am I supposed to know that? And do I have to believe that as part of this essential doctrine? Like, does that matter? You know, because the Bible tells you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, it's it's just, it's by faith, right? I mean, we're trusting in what Scripture says. Right, okay. And I think the thing we can say is, well, all the other Old Testament prophecies have come to pass. We can trust in this one, too. Okay. Jesus, Jesus said he's coming again. We can trust Jesus in his coming again. Because we trusted him to come the first time. Yeah, and because he said it. Okay. And therefore, I trust his words are true, right? I've not found Jesus to be a liar yet. So I'm going to trust that his words are true. And so if he says he's coming again, I trust that he's coming again. Uh, I think it's I think it's absolutely essential to believe that he is coming again for his people. Okay. Because he's coming to really, in a lot of ways, complete what he began when he, in his first coming. And what I mean by that is when he first came, he came announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm -hmm. like, here's the kingdom. And you saw demonstrations of the kingdom of God throughout Jesus' reign. And then you see it in the lives of his disciples and through the early church and down into us. You see kingdom of God happening, okay, around the world. In other words, God's evoking his rulership, God evoking his authority around the world. But Jesus is coming to set everything completely right again. Mm. Because our creation is still broken. We're still broken in these bodies, right? Like there's everything is in, in so many things, I won't say everything, but so many things are still severed and broken. Okay and distorted from what they were meant originally to be. Jesus is coming to cause a, a coming and coming with a new creation, a new heaven and new earth where creation will once again be pure and holy as it was intended to be. That we would be holy and pure as we were intended to be. And so in the beginning, in the beginning, before yeah. fruit, before sin, right? Yes, and it's one of the things too. Like we're not, our eternity is not up somewhere in heaven. Our eternity is in the new creation with new earth. So we're all going to live on new earth. Uh huh. Not in heaven. Correct, because basically, in the way that it's described in Revelation, like heaven has come down to earth. Okay. Jesus is there with us in this new creation where we are all together with Jesus, and that is where we will spend eternity. On a new earth. Mm -hmm. So we're in heaven until then, mm -hmm. which is instantly once we're not in bound by time. Mm -hmm. Correct. So when we, when we die, we're going to immediately be at the end of the story that we're waiting to happen here and all that'll be done and we'll just be on new earth? No, so it's, Scripture says to, to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay. So when we die, we will be with the Lord in heaven. Okay. Okay. But then there is the, I won't get into to the whole millennial reign and everything like that, just to get to the end of the story, that heaven's coming down, we're coming down with it, I'll put it that way. And there is a messiah who is ruling and reigning on earth and we're living with him on this new earth why is all of this an essential doctrine 
why do I need to believe all this for it to be in? Why do I need to believe all this? And it's essential that I do. Yeah. Because Christianity really hinges on these things. Okay. It hinges on the truths that we've talked about in this episode, uh, or these episodes of Jesus being the son of God etern- from eternity but he came to earth by being conceived in the by you know by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, dead, and buried, that he rose on the third day, he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, and we know he's coming again. And Christianity hinges on these truths. Like, I believe that if we take any of these out, it removes either part of his divinity or removes part of his humanity. Both have to be intact for Jesus. Well, cool. This has been the When I Heard This Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Rumble. Uh, we You can also go to our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com and type in When I Heard This Podcast, you can find it and uh, join a tier there. We'll be pushing out all the, all the money from there. We'll go to pushing the podcast more on social media. You can follow me at Nate Robinsoff on Instagram and Facebook, and you can follow Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the one I heard this podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye.